Knock, knock. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, episode 204. And I want this Groundhog's Day to end. Uh, not that we want the live stream to end, the fireside chat that doesn't have a fireplace, but we certainly want this lockdown to end. And uh, I can't think of a better guest than, he's a returning guest, and you can see to my left, your right, uh, Seth Gruber. Welcome back. Thank you, brother. So, Seth, uh, as you know, I, I, I prefer to coin you as uh, the Charlie, what Charlie Kirk is to the political world, you are to the unborn. Uh, you are a magnificent yeah. voice for the voiceless, and um, so touched by the last time you were with us. And so, David, we get the privilege to yeah. just sit and listen to you talk. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I, I, wanted, I wanted to share, because not only have we asked Seth back uh, to share tonight, but this Sunday, uh, we're going to have a baptismal, and then the following Sunday, which is the last Sunday before the election, the most critical election, I would say, since 1860 in our nation. And uh, also, this coming Monday uh, is the possible confirmation of a Supreme Court justice That's right. that could turn the tide of really this, what I consider to be this scourge on our nation of, of abortion. That's right. And uh, I, I've been watching... Um, so many churches that posted a black tile for Black Lives Matter, or let me correct that, for BLM Inc., because Black Lives Matter, BLM Inc., that doesn't matter. Sure. And, and here you have BLM Inc., and you have evangelical churches posting that, and BLM Inc. is supported by Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood supports BLM Inc., 4% of, of the population, which is childbearing uh, females, black Americans. That's right are responsible for, I think, close to 40% of the abortions. Just under 40, yeah. a, a complete holocaust on, the, on black Americans. And, and, and we're talking about Black Lives Matter, and we're watching. I mean, literally, the, the black community in America should be in the high 30 percentile, and they're right. at 13% because it, it's just unmitigated decimation of the black community. That's right. And, and as we know, Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist, wanted to get rid of what she called the inferior races. That's right. Unconscionable. Yeah. And, and where are those churches now that um, stood for BLM Inc., now that we have the chance to have Amy Coney Barrett confirmed as a, a Supreme Court justice to save right. an enormous portion of the black community from annihilation That's right. before they ever see the light of day? Yeah. And uh, I can I, I pop in? Yeah. So anytime I was just so, I can ramble forever. So, so much, thanks. so much good things you said there, and I, I wanted to just I wanted to piggyback off of what you just said regarding this. If I can paraphrase you, spiritual confusion, moral fog that these churches are living in, and you put your thumb right on it. These churches are hmm, are bandwagoning on topics that are politically expedient to do so because they're not going to get the type of negative backlash that they would if they were preaching against abortion every Sunday. It's very easy when the whole culture is swimming downstream saying we need to support the organization Black Lives Matter and all of their actions. It's very easy to just go right along with that. But, no, 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 but here's don't, don't say Black Lives Matter. Say BLM Inc. Inc. Mm -hmm. That's right. The organization, and who is behind, behind, of course, much of the you know, strategic happenings in the country right now. But here, here is how we can prove the, the spiritual clarity and moral fog that so many of our brothers and sisters are living in. Can you imagine if the organization Black Lives Matter was protesting all of the same things, claiming all of the same things, acting in all of the same ways, 
But rather than being rabidly pro-abortion, which they are, and I can prove it in a second, rather than doing that, within their website, they said that they support, um, I don't know, uh, sexual health care. And by that, they meant sex trafficking. They support the rights of traffickers um, to run their businesses in accordance with their best judgment because they're persons too. Can you imagine if that same organization was condoning, financing, and partnering with organizations and individuals that enslaved eight-year-old boys and girls as sex slaves? What church, what pastor would put up a square or anything that had the marketing of that organization on it? Not a single one. Not a single one, except maybe the church of Satan. So what does that tell us? It tells us that they don't actually believe our unborn neighbors are neighbors. They don't actually believe these children are image bearers of God with equal dignity and value. Because if they did, if they believed that the preborn child was just as intrinsically valuable as the eight-year-old child who in my thought experiment would be victimized by, by Black Lives Matter, then, then they would support the rights of that child and refuse to associate with any organization that endangered those children's lives. Right. Right? This is what Joseph Delapena in his book on the history of abortion coined the abortion distortion. And what he meant by this term was that there's sort of this atrophy happening to our moral reflex on abortion that would never happen if the moral outrage was slavery or sex trafficking. Right, right. Because they're not, as Hadley Ark says, possessed of a lively as sense. Who, as who says? Hadley Arcus, Hadley phenomenal Arcus. legal scholar and a natural rights philosopher, and he's the founder of the James Wilson Institute for Natural Rights. Got it. And he says in his book, natural rights and the right to choose regarding pro-life Republicans who were paying lip service to the pro-life movement, but not acting politically to protect them. Mm -hmm. He said that these individuals like our brothers and sisters today are not possessed of a lively sense that there are real human beings getting killed in these surgeries. Exactly. Because if they were possessed of that sense, they would never associate with an organization who put on their website, we stand for reproductive justice and healthcare. And we know exactly what those euphemisms mean, don't yeah. we? Yeah. yeah. It, you must have really enjoyed non-essential David Young up there, David Young Jr. David Harris Jr. Or Dar- David Harris He brought down the house, didn't he? Oh my God. Beautiful. I saw you standing up a lot for him. Beautiful, so. yeah. But uh, Very you know, strong pro-life message. The one thing we're going to offer up tonight is the ability for people to ask questions. So if you have some questions for Seth, since you're so incredibly knowledgeable on this subject, please uh, prime them up and we'll have Isaac yeah, put yeah, them up on they'll, the they'll screen put the, they'll put the questions on the screen. We and can, a little yeah. teaser, right? We're doing it again in, uh, on Sunday, November 1st, right? Right. So, uh, so not only are you speaking tonight, but then you're going to do our services because as far as I'm concerned, as I said earlier, this is the most critical election since 1860. You're going to be you're going to be preaching all three services, um, and then you're going to be on the live stream that night. Um, I'm, yeah, anyone, so more Q&A. More, yeah. More, yeah. Yeah. But I'd also add that anyone who wants to join us, um, I'm, I'm going to be doing a five-day water-only fast up into the election. Mm. And then Monday night, we're going to be going into a, a, a prayer, congregational prayer. I want to yeah. invite everyone to attend. I'd love to join you. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, you know, uh, having if, done if all, we, stand. If we can't fast to stop, the genocide of baby image bearers, what can we fast for? I mean, you guys have so eloquently, along with you know, Jack and Charlie and, and others, um, I think really put your thumb on what this whole cultural moment has revealed about the nature of the church and their leaders and the shepherds, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that, has, that, that revealing has been that they are still silent shepherds, right? And not only on abortion, right? 
mm-hmm. but also on the shutdowns of the church. You know, behold, I stand before you with an open door, Jesus says. He says, don't forsake meeting together as some of them in their habit of doing. Now, and why do I bring this up? Because these are the same pastors and individuals who, who don't do anything on life. They don't talk about the preborn child. They don't talk about the genocide of God's image bearers in a womb that Christ entered human history in. Not, not, They're silent on that. So of course, I would, I would, you say, can't I would get, say a majority of them, there are a sure. few. Yeah. If you can't get the right to life right, you're not gonna get any other rights right. I mean, the, the moral stain that slavery was on our country, as evil as that was, it, it, it was just indicative of, of a deeper problem, which was the, the cowardice of Christians to stand in the gap on behalf of, of what was the greatest moral scourge in our country at that time. And of course, injustice has continued and it took a hundred years before yeah. we had a civil rights movement. So I'm not saying things got perfect, but I mean that the scourge that slavery represented on a republic that was founded on the idea of natural rights. Well, we denied those natural rights to other image bearers of God. And now we're doing it again. And our shepherds are just as silent now as they were then, if not more so. And I think this has to do with, as as my friend John Stone Street from the Colson Center says, with the power of normalization of, of the, right, we, we say that politics is downstream from culture, right? right. And then that is absolutely true. Sometimes it goes the other way too. Mm-hmm. You need a political line drawn in the sand true. to say, now to the culture it. has to be forced yeah. to change yeah. because these actions, be it slavery mm-hmm. or killing but, but children, even, even that are line, not acceptable. Even that line drawn in the st- sand was driven by culture. So That's right, it, yeah. exactly. So it, it's a two-way street often, right? right? right. But the, the power of normalization, obviously it's gonna come from the culture because the ideas that the people in the culture hold are gonna dictate sort of the, um, the quality or lack thereof of our politics. Um, But what has the left been doing for nearly 50 years on abortion? A massive propaganda, euphemistic, bigoted campaign to describe one of the most heinous acts you could possibly imagine, either poisoning your child in the womb with an abortion pill, or if if the child is older than 10 weeks, suctioning them into a vacuum, or if the child's more developed than that, you're actually tearing their limbs off in the womb. And they call that reproductive health care. And they call that reproductive justice. So words have meanings. Words have definitions. And this is why the left is always trying to rewrite words, to redefine Mm -hmm. words. Because reality tends to be self-evident for most people. Most people see reality for the self-evident thing that it is. So you've got to steep your movement and, and your position in euphemisms to normalize the action in question so that the ideological pill will be easier for the culture to swallow. And, you know, Aristotle once said that statecraft is soulcraft. So when a country regulates or rather delegates um, issues to the class of legal or illegal, it's actually moving them into the class of acceptable or non-acceptable. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have this very silly tendency as Christians and Americans to assume that whatever the laws says are whatever our laws say are legal, they, they're, they're good. And whatever they say is illegal or bad. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's very dangerous because now what's the most popular argument you hear for abortion? Well, it's a constitutional right. The court's decided. So therefore it's moral. So, I mean, these are the issues we're dealing with. This, and so swimming upstream of this is being, I think has become almost impossible for some of our brothers and sisters. And so far from swimming upstream like we are, mm-hmm. they're going on a jet boat the other way. Yeah. And, and when you talk about legal precedent, if, if we're going to play that game, then they had legal precedent when it came to slavery. That's right. And, and that's just, that, that's such a, a, a strange argument to me. I know. If it's wrong, do you continue to have it wrong just because you have precedent of it yeah. being wrong? That's right. Something has to change. That's right. 
Uh, and then I'd also add too, and I, I'd shared this when I was in North Carolina with the pastors. I said two things. I said, um, and, and you heard me share this on the, at the non-essential, that uh, Jesus saying at Caesarea Philippi, upon this rock I'll build my, and then everyone says church. And I said, no, uh, Tyndale was burned at the stake for this. He translated it correctly. It was ecclesia. And, and the Koine Greek for ecclesia is public square. So while we've been busy doing church, which is a building, while we've been busy doing church, which is, you know, hmm. an organization, right. the secular progressive left has been occupying the ecclesia, hmm. the public square. Right, yeah. and, and I said to these pastors, I said, we, we've gotten to a place where we allow the governing authority in the public square to declare that the church is non-essential, hmm. the church being the bride of Christ. Right. And, and we're supposed to be the defenders of the bride of Christ. Hmm. And, and we, we tolerate a governor saying that Christ's bride is non-essential. Right. And as I told you earlier, that's like saying, you know, if you were to say to me, my wife's non-essential, you'd be picking up your teeth with your broken arm, right? It <laughs> right, just, right. that's unacceptable. Right. And yet we fold like a cheap suit. And, and all the while we're, we're trying to somehow be relevant in a culture hmm. we're not driving. Right. So that we can avoid conflict. Yeah. And, and we're not contending for those things that are dear to the heart of the Lord. Yeah. Because being comfortable, comfortable is just so much more easier, Rob. Yeah. It's, and it's more fun. And, and people, people don't want freedom. They don't. They don't want liberty. Yeah. They want comfort. Because they want comfort and they want to be taken care of. Yeah. Just, just like the slaves in Egypt, the minute that mm. they cried out to God and God sent Moses and contended with Pharaoh, Pharaoh doubles the brick output and reduces the materials. And the first thing that people do is complain. And Moses like, look, you wanted freedom. Uh, yeah, but we didn't want to have to suffer for it. Yeah, we we yeah. didn't have to want, we didn't want to earn it. We just, we want someone else to do it for us. Yeah. And 244 years we've had freedom and liberty because others have, right. you know, bled and died, That's suffered, right. bled and died right. so that we can have this. And we're willing to surrender it. Yeah. How pompous we are. Uh, well, I want to ask you this, Rob. What do you think, um, what do you think the, the statutes, the heart of the matter is? How would you diagnose um, maybe the heart of the matter in maybe the, the hearts of so many Christian leaders and pastors today who are folding like a stack of cards. Do you think it has something to do with a fundamental misunderstanding of this republic? Because that's what I seem to seen. Because these same pastors who are saying, but Romans 13, Rob, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't like abortion, but you know, it's, they've declared it's legal, uh, federalism, uh, and we're not political. All of these things to me seem to say that you have a fundamental misunderstanding of this republic. Because if you understood that it's we the people and that the governing authority is us, and that that truth and that system, which hundreds of thousands bled and died to maintain, right. has not only provided freedom and wealth um, domestically, but overseas as well. And it's, it's enabled for the funding of the gospel missions all around the world and for the proclamation of the gospel in a way that's never been before. I think as you've said very eloquently before, Rob, the first thing, the most important thing you can do with your life is to give it over to Christ, right? And, but the second most important thing you can do is to make sure you can do the first. Right. So if, what, if, what would you say to that? How would you diagnose the, the problem in, in our pulpits in America today? Yeah. If preaching the gospel is the most important thing, the second most important thing would be protecting the government that protects the preaching of that gospel. But you have John Piper who came out basically endorsing Biden. You, you've got uh, Tim Keller and, and, and praying for him because I know he's dealing with cancer. These are men that I, I believe love the Lord. I believe they love the word of God. But they have been funded by a Soros entity where they're basically saying, you know, 
you, you can still vote Democrat, you can still vote for a pro-choice candidate and right. still be a Christian. And you, I, I, I can't process this. Yeah. And I look at them and I think they, they almost abdicate their responsibility in the ecclesia, mm. in the public square, yeah. by somehow disconnecting the gospel from driving the culture. And right. culture drives politics. That's right. And, they, and, and to say that you're not political, you, you, you heard my letter that I read. And to say you're not political is, it's dishonest. That's right. It's disingenuine because you're political in your family, you're political in your church, and you're political in your community. Right. And, and to say you're not political, when, right. when you're silent, you're political. That's right. Well, and politics just comes from the word polis, right? Yeah, well, Which, no, it, no, no, no. It comes from two words. Uh, Paula, poly, meaning many, and ticks, meaning blood-sucking virus. <laughs> <laughs> no, polis, yeah. The law, the main yeah. thing. Yeah, so, so this idea of, of polis, it's the governance of a city, yeah, how exactly. you get along. And, and in an ecclesia, in the Koine Greek, the two things that were always listed above every civic gathering right. under that moniker of ecclesia was, was, I think it was equality and justice. Right. Those two things were right. always sought for in the community. Right. So that's where Jesus says, uh, yeah. upon this ecclesia, uh, upon this this rock, I will build my ecclesia. That testimony. Right. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Right. You are the word. You, you are the logos. You, you are the one that when you speak, it is truth. Yeah. And, and your kingdom is not of this world. Yeah. You contend with ideas through the spoken word. Yeah. And that must be, that must be a, a, an enormous portion of the freedom of speech to, to come where the Bible says, though your sins are scarlet, come let us reason together. Right. Well, I'll wash you as white as snow. And when you contend for truth, people are set free. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. That's right. But the suppression of truth, and, and we just went through this in another interview, but the suppression of truth is, is detrimental to a society of freedom. That's right. And there's two different ways that can happen, right? The, the suppression of truth, at least two primary ways that I would see. Yeah. Firstly, it would be the quite literal suppression of truth. So you got big tech who's just completely shutting down ideas they don't like mm -hmm. because they might hurt politicians they really like. Um, or, or you have the government stepping in and saying, no, you, you don't have the ability to meet together as the church. So right. you have the literal suppression of truth, but you also have the ideological suppression of truth or the propaganda suppression mm -hmm. of truth, which is what we were talking about earlier, yeah. which is just the cultural messages and norms, the power of normalization to call abortion healthcare. Um, and because I, you know, I've, I actually have a couple of friends running my Instagram because I can't be on there too much. But when I do briefly jump on there, I mean, the hundreds of comments I have my, to go my bathe after I do are it. just <laughs> unreal, right? Yeah. And 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 I'm just realizing how lost and confused and mistaken young people in our country are today, and not just young people, not just Gen Z, but millennials as well, on just basic truths. Like things yeah. we learned in high school biology, that like human life begins at the moment of conception, that's a human being, and while they haven't realized all aspects of their physical development yet, everything that they need to realize that level of development is already present at the moment of conception, right? I, may, I always make this joke, right? I'm 29 and I'm not 40. And my wife recently found out that men don't reach their mental peak until their 40s. And she was really, really encouraged by that, right? <laughs> so there's aspects of don't my development I haven't realized yet. Yeah. So I'm on a different tick mark on the continuum of human development. But I have everything I need at 29 to realize a 40-year-old's level of development. The same thing is true as the, of the unborn child. They're just at an earlier mark on that continuum. Yeah. But when did the continuum begin? The moment of conception. So basic, like basic biological truths that we learned in high school biology 
And one of the number one responses I get from young people who are just, you know, blasting me online is essentially saying, well, no, it's actually not a human being. It's cellularly human, kind of like your skin cells. And it's like, where did you get this idea from? It's one of the most popular myths yeah. in the culture right now on abortion mm-hmm. because th- the left looks really dumb if they say it's not a human at all because the science is so overwhelming. So then they take this really weird position where they say um, – it's cellularly human, like it has human DNA in it, kind of like your skin cells. When I scratch off my somatic cells off my palm, mm-hmm. and I'm hurdling thousands of uh, skin cells on your leather couch here, I'm sorry about that, um, <laughs> they have my DNA in them. But nobody thinks that I just committed mass homicide. Why is that? Because we understand the difference, the philosophical concept of parts and holes. Mm-hmm. I'm the whole human being. These are parts of me. They're not me. I'm not killing myself. Obviously, I'm still talking. They have human DNA in them, so they're cellularly human. But they're not a whole human being intrinsically geared towards self-development. And, and, uh, from, you know, but that is true of the unborn child. From the moment of conception, they're a distinct living and whole human being who already has everything they need to realize their full level of development. So if we can't acknowledge the dignity of that child from the moment they're human, then when do we draw the line? Right. And this is a question I love to ask um, you know, pro-choice Christians or progressive brothers and sisters or, or people who hate God in their pro-choice is when would you be against killing a baby? Where do you draw the line? And so I say, well, you know, you know about partial birth abortions, right? That procedure that Ruth Bader Ginsburg tried to protect three different times in three different legal cases. You know, where you pull a child up by their legs through a forced delivery in the second or third trimester, and while the head is still in the vaginal canal, mm-hmm. you stick scissors into the back of the neck and you suck the brains out. Was half the child a person? Because the buttocks and the legs were out of the womb, but the head was still in it. So, so that's why it was okay, right? Because the head was a non-person, but the legs were persons. <laughs> what? So when you press people on when is it wrong to kill an unborn child, they can't give you an answer. And I think this, this reveals a much sinister truth, brothers, is that they know fully well that these are persons with dignity and value. Yeah. But they believe that the sacrifice of these children are an acceptable sacrifice on the altar of their sexual freedom. I want to have sex without responsibilities. And if I get pregnant, oops, I'm just going to get rid of the mistake. Because, and, and by the way, pro-choice Democrats have revealed their hands on this matter over and over and over and over again. The Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Okay, let's unpack this for a second. And I want to I re- unpack this for, for everyone listening because I think that you, this will help you understand the philosophy of the enemy. Mm-hmm. The position of our enemies, okay? And now, spir- yes, there's spiritual battle we're in the principalities. Talk, when we say enemy, we're talking about ideology. Yeah. People are not the enemy. They're the opportunity. That's but right. the ideology Now, they are the, en- they are the enemy of the unborn, yeah. but Satan is using them, and, right. and they are pawns, right. and they need to be saved. But, uh, but you know what I mean. So right. the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, okay, 2019, mm-hmm. Ben Sass from mm-hmm. Nebraska. He's a, he's a co-sponsor of the bill, or sponsor of the bill, right? He proposed this bill right after Ralph Northam, Governor of Virginia, went yep. on a radio show. Unbelievable. And said, and was asked, and this was right after Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo in New York, passed the um, Reproductive Health Act, a euphemism if there ever was one, because it, it legalized abortion through point of birth in the state of New York, and it removed abortions from the penal code. So if you murder a pregnant woman, you're only charged with one count of homicide, the mother's. Mm. So shortly after that, uh, Ralph Northam in Virginia tries to pass a Reproductive Health Act that would have done the same thing in Virginia as Cuomo's had in New York. So he had, Kath, uh, Kath, Kathy Tran? Something Tran, Representative Tran from Virginia was the one, the sponsoring this bill. And she mm-hmm. gets asked by this um, judge, what would your bill do? When would it legalize abortion? And she won't answer the question. It was yeah, this viral clip that, back in 2019. Right? Yeah. And he said, he, 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 goes, he goes, the head is in the birth canal. Or no, he goes, the mom is in labor. 
can, can the woman get an abortion at this point in your bill, according to your bill? Mm-hmm. And you can see Kathy go, Tran go, yes. Yeah. Like she's yeah. disturbed by her own answer because she understands yeah. that what she's advocating is absolutely disgusting and heinous. Mm-hmm. So then Ralph Northam goes on a radio show and he's asked, what would happen if a baby survived a, a botched abortion or was born alive at, in the third trimester? Uh, this is and crazy. he goes, I'll tell you what would happen. Ready? I'm, I'm quoting verbatim. Yeah. We would deliver the baby. We would make the baby comfortable. We would resuscitate the baby if that's what the mother wanted. Yeah. If that's what the mother... So you're going to turn to the mother and ask her about an infant on the table already outside of the womb, mm-hmm. what she wants oh. to do with that baby? Yeah, pitch it out the hospital window, throw it in the trash or take it home and love it as the child that you're supposed to. Unreal. So Ben Sass is scandalized by this, right? So he proposes the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Now, now pause. This was already attempted um, under the Clinton administration. Clinton vetoed. The born, it was called the Born Alive Abortion, uh, Bo- Infant Protection Act. Right. Later it was passed federally under Bush, right? Um, so, but the problem with the bill then is that it didn't prescribe penalties for abortionists or abortion staff workers who didn't report the fact that a baby was born alive during a botched abortion or killed the child directly or just simply stepped away and said, I w- I'm not going to kill the child. Of course, that is killing to fail right. to care for an infant. Right. So the, the bill under Bush didn't prescribe what type of penalties. Like, wh- what's going to happen to you right. if you don't adequately care for that child? So Ben Sass says, yeah, we need to have consequences because you've got a governor of a state over here saying, maybe we'll just let mothers decide what to do with their infants. <laughs> Unreal, yeah. right? So how many Democrats in the Senate voted in support of an anti-infanticide bill that did not regulate abortion whatsoever? Three. And they all came from more purple districts. Okay, so they probably only did it because they wanted to get reelected. Right. Right. So they, they were probably they're probably pro-choice. They were just like, if I don't vote for an anti-infanticide bill, I ain't getting reelected. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. So when I say things like the Democratic Party is the party of abortion and infanticide, I'm not I'm not you know, I'm not overstating my case. I mean, you literally refuse to protect infants who yeah, survive botched abortions. And all the bill did, gentlemen, was it said if a baby survives a botched abortion and is born, you have to report that. That happened. <laughs> Secondly, you have to immediately transfer the baby to a hospital and give them the same level of medical attention and care as any other baby would receive under normal circumstances born at the same gestational age. Hmm. Why would you have to do that? Oh, because it turns out abortion clinics are not equipped to care for infants. They're designed to kill them. And thirdly, if you don't report it, there's going to be serious legal consequences. That's all the bill said. So it didn't regulate the killing of children in the womb whatsoever, just the killing of children outside the womb. So why do I, why do I take this big aside? What does the response of the Democratic Party say about their position and worldview? The fact that they're not willing to condemn infanticide. What does that tell us about their position? Because do do we really think that the Senate Democrats are okay with infanticide? Of course not. Their moral compass is not that botched. So why are they willing to protect it? Ready? If you acknowledge that the killing of a child directly after they're born is wrong and heinous— how could the killing of that same child six inches before and 60 seconds before be reproductive justice? Right. Only a full-scale idiot could actually believe that a six-inch journey confers personhood or that the fetus fairy flies up and sprinkles magical personhood-conferring fairy dust that, yeah. as the baby exits the birth canal. So they're willing, ready, to sacrifice infants on the altar of abortion access. Because they understand that in condemning infanticide, you're putting, you're planting moral premises in the law. Mm-hmm. That moral premise being that children who survive an abortion and have just left the birth canal, just left, are full persons who deserve legal protection. Well, if you plant that moral premise in the law, it's going to start growing. Right. And there's going to be good fruit 
of that premise planted in the law. Right. That good fruit would be the regulation of abortion continuing to move back and back and back. It up. Because who could say that in partial birth abortions is okay if you just said that infanticide is wrong? Because now we're talking about the same infant halfway out of the womb. Mm-hmm. And then if you can say partial birth abortions are wrong, why can't you say nine-month abortions are wrong in the womb? Do you see what I mean? Well, go so, forward the other way. How about a nine-month-old? Yeah, exactly. And when does it, if you're going to go well, that way, Peter, where do you Peter go that way? Yeah, Peter yeah. Singer goes, no, fully, all, all, up you to know, two years up to one year old yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So this yeah. is my point is that you, I need you to understand the philosophy of the enemy. Right. They believe that these children are children. They believe they're humans. They believe they're persons, at least the people defending this in the public square, the Democratic Party, the abortion industry, and the abortionists who actually kill these children. Do you think they don't know what they're doing? So they know fully well that these are humans. Nobody actually thinks in their mind, except maybe Peter Singer, that that a nine-month infant whose mother is going into contractions, that that child's not a person or a human. Nobody actually believes that. But they're willing to condone infanticide because they recognize the consequences of condemning the killing of any child, the consequences for them would be compromising their industry and their worldview in the public square. So think about that. That is some sick stuff. And, and, uh, and that's you, how important abortion access is to the abortion right. industry. We will maintain abortion access right. through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all, no matter what. Even if we right. have to condone infanticide in order to avoid pro-life Republicans planting moral premises in yeah. the law. Yeah. And, and, here you, and here you have the ability for a human being to, to articulate and stand by something so awful. And they, they did that in the vacuum of moral teaching from the church. That's right. Wow. Amen. I mean, p- people only come to that conclusion because no one's contended. That's right. Because who else can hold government accountable? Is the left going to hold the government right. accountable? Is right. cancel culture going to hold government accountable? Are our universities going to hold cancel yeah. culture account? I mean, yeah. are, you know, government accountable? I mean, insert laugh track, gentlemen. Who, what yeah. other institution has the moral grounding and foundation to hold government accountable? It's the church. And, and, as, and, and as believers, the, so where, where you see with the secular progressive left, that for them to follow their ideology to its end result... They're standing, to their credit, they're standing faithful to the, the, the heinous aspect of it all the way to its conclusion, as graphic and as awful as it is. It's almost like saying to someone who doesn't believe in metaphysics that, that we are just cells and we're a cosmic accident and it's, you know, we're, we're just a clump of cells um, and we're evolving or however they view it. And then you would say to them, if it, if, if, it is the, if it is evolution, then you can't say that rape is wrong. And, and you can't say that Hitler was wrong because there's no right and wrong, no good, no That's bad, right. no, no evil, no you know, good. That's right. And you find, you find students that will say, y- you're right. That's you're exactly right. right. And they'll yeah. try to come up with some sort of logical statement to right. defend. But they just the more you push them to their worldview conclusion, they, they see how strange it is. Yeah. But if that's the secular progressive mindset to hold on to it to the point of idiocy, yeah. let's back it up. Why is the church so silent mm. on defending the clarity of the scriptures that says, before you were born, I knew you. Right. Wow. Wow. Right. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. 
We know mm. from the scriptures where life begins. End of story. The scriptures are clear on that. Yeah. If, if they're willing to do for evil, why aren't we willing to do for good? That's right. As Greg Cunningham, my actual godfather, and one of the godfathers of the pro-life movement once said, uh, there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. Well, and I love what you said about... Was but he it, goes on. Oh, he sorry, says, that's because killing babies is very profitable, while saving them is very costly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. costly that large numbers of people who say they oppose abortion are not lifting a finger to stop it. And mm-hmm. those that do lift a finger do just enough to salve the conscience but yeah, not enough uh, to stop the killing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'll save that again. Just enough uh, to make you feel good. To make good you feel enough. good. You yeah. have to get yourself political accolades. Wait, so the left obviously has that slant, but now, as you guys have talked about, it infiltrated the church. It infiltrated the Christian universities. Yeah. It used to be a 50-50% perception in the society. Where are we at? Are right. organizations like yours right. making any difference yeah. or inroads into some yeah, of where those. are we at in the culture? Yeah, so where's the, culture the polling at? is very confusing on this. Uh, so if you look at Gallup, okay, they have someone in 2019 on, on abortion data polls, okay? And they break it down in terms of trimester, pro-life or pro-choice, all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what circumstances are you okay with abortion? <clears throat> and when you ask Americans, are they pro-life or pro-choice? It, it continues to be about 49-49. Okay. And then, you know, the rest are just like, I don't want to answer the question. Right. But uh, so we're, we've been split down the middle for quite some time. Here's where the catch is, gentlemen. When you look at the other Daling and Gallup poll that asked people their, their opinion on Roe v. Wade or on third trimester abortions, the whole story changes. Right. Hmm. So you ask people, for example, one of the 2019 Gallup questions was, do you support the legalization of third trimester abortions? Okay. 72% of Americans said no. Then you ask them, do you support Roe versus Wade? Oh, right. this is the exact opposite. Whatever Roe versus Wade says yeah. and Doe yeah. versus Bolton. So federal abortion law is the right. question. Do you support Roe versus Wade? Um, and a disproportionate percentage of people said yes. Very high percentage. So this tells us that they don't know what Roe versus Wade says. Yeah. <laughs> because Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton do legalize abortion through point of birth. And I tell this to Christians sometimes. I tell this to pastors sometimes, right? Yeah. I say, you know this, right? Yeah. Abortion is legal through all unanimous pregnancy. And they go, Seth, you really shouldn't be lying to Christians. And I go, excuse me? <laughs> I do this full time. <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about? They, don't, they literally don't know what the law says. So here's what the law says. It says that abortion is actually regulated in the later trimesters. Unless a failure to get a late-term abortion endangers the life or health of the mother. Mother. And they can life say health. Life or health. Health is... Life or health. Exactly. Really so how did the courts define health? Oh, mental Well, in anguish. Doe versus Bolton, in Doe versus Bolton, the companion case to Roe, also decided in 1973, and I quote, mental health relates to all things familial health, emotional health, financial health, and issues pertaining to the woman's age. So they define health so broadly you can drive a Mack truck through it. So who is the person deciding whether the woman's definition of health for herself is acceptable for a third trimester abortion? The abortionist, the financially incentivized individual Mm -hmm. who, of course, is going to accept the woman's definition of health to get a third trimester abortion. So yes, pro-life laws in, in states are saving babies. We have data that has shown that. But if a woman wants to push it in the third trimester, she just needs an abortionist to accept her definition of health to get a third trimester abortion. But I, I, I think going back to what Rob said, I think is just so powerful. I mean, the, the church, the same churches who will preach on Psalm 139, right? 
And it might be the only time they, refer- they reference the word abortion from their pulpit, right? Because you know the pastors who say, we never do topical sermons. We never have guests and mm-hmm. we just preach through the Bible. And if it comes up and it aligns with cultural issues, I'll, I'll talk about the cultural issues, but I'll never address it otherwise. So they get to Psalm 139 and they're going, oh, maybe I should talk about abortion. You know, fearfully and wonderfully made and together yeah. in my mother's womb, maybe I'll talk about abortion now. The same churches that do that are, would never tell people that they have a political duty before the eyes of God to use the most unique political power in human history, we the people, and use that power to restore personhood to preborn image bearers and enshrine legal consequences for killing those children. But, but they would use Romans 13 to silence anyone who would contend in the public arena That's right. for the evisceration of a human life in the womb. Um, and, and they would cite that, which was Romans 13 is the number one verse that was cited by Hitler. And the, and the, the wow. church and the professing church with Bonhoeffer and Niemöller contended with that. So it, Martin it Niemöller, just, what an incredible man, both of those men. Niemöller ended up becoming a little bit liberal, but you know what? He, he, he kind of had the, the right to do that. The man suffered in a German, you know, yeah. it, it, constant, well, not concentration camp, but still he was incarcerated and he, was, he mm. faced abuse. Let's talk about those two men really quick. Let's do so it. So these are men who led by Bonhoeffer, of course, who became so scandalized by what? By the apathy and complicity of German churches in the genocide of image bearers. Yeah, human oh, beings. Any parallels here? Yeah. yeah. And they were so scandalized by their apathy and complicity that they started a church called what? The Professing Church. The Confessing Church. Oh, confessing, Professing, me. yeah. The Confessing Church. What were they communicating in doing that? All of y'all out there? Mm-hmm. whatever gospel you're preaching, it ain't the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Whoa, mic drop. I mean, they, yeah. they, they <laughs> named their church that in order to insinuate that the rest of you, you may not be born again. And whatever, whoever you're confessing, it ain't Christ, dude. You know, as Martin Luther once said, if I proclaim every portion of the truth of God and exposit every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that point, at which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking. That's a good one. I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be confessing Christianity. He says that the loyal, the, the, uh, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proven. Mm. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that one point. Mm. I mean, this is coming from Martin Luther. That dude. dog will hunt right, right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and that is essentially what Niemöller and Bonhoeffer were communicating. Yeah. They're saying that you're flinching at the one point at which Satan, his minions, and the world are putting all of their forces in attacking. Mm-hmm. Image bearers of God, our Jewish brothers and sisters, who they were rounding up through state-sanctioned slaughter. Never forget the Holocaust was legal. And so is abortion now. And it's also the slaughter of image bearers, but on a level unlike the Holocaust. Six million Jews, correct? And about 13 million total human beings killed in the Holocaust because of the Nazis. And then we you kill had, a and million then you had the, babies you had a year. 50 million that died in a war just trying to stop that machinery. That's right. Yeah. So I've been telling people a lot recently. I was, I was talking to Joe Pettick about this the yeah. other day. and um, Just talked to him today. And James Cadiz, because um, yeah. they both, I was, at, I was preaching the Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. Cadizinator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw you text them. Yeah. So I was there last week, and then I was at Calvary Chapel of the Harbor recently, and we were talking about this. And I said, you know what? It's, it's time for the church to, to put a spiritual and political line in the sand. And that, what I mean by that is it's time for us to say, 
to not be political is to be political. As, as Bonhoeffer actually said, that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. And it's high time that the church, particularly in America, led by phenomenal leaders like yourself right now, like Jack, like others, it's time for us to put that spiritual and political line in the sand and say, Christians, brothers and sisters in America, you need to pick your side. If you're on this side with us, you're for protecting preborn image bearers created in the image of a prenatal Christ who entered human history in a womb. If you're on the other side, then you are on the side of genocide. Mm-hmm. And going back to what you just said, Rob, about the complicity of the church, we can be complicit through silence, right? We can be complicit through the sin of omission or commission, directly aiding and abetting evil, or simply doing nothing when we had a responsibility to do so. But I think there's even another level of the complicity of the church on the abortion of the lambs. And it goes back to what you were just saying a few minutes ago. Had the church been faithfully preaching the full counsel of God in the ecclesia, in the public squares, the moral compass of the culture, where would we be today in our culture, which dictates our politics? Let me tell you something. It would look a whole lot healthier. It would look a whole lot healthier. And, and, And there would be more black lives. That's right. So I think, I think it's time for us to put that line in the sand. And, and I'm tired of being told, Seth, you need to talk nicer. You're not, or sometimes people say, Seth, I'm actually for you. I'm pro-life. I love you, brother. I just want your message to reach more people. So because of that, you need to tone down the language, man. And of course, I never curse, you know, but what they mean is like, don't speak so matter-of-factly. Don't speak so frankly. Yeah. And I'm saying, I want you to I'm do saying, it. no, we, need, we actually need this line in the sand. You yeah, need to right. pick your side. I... I I was fascinated by a comment I think Charlie made, um, and I can't remember where he did it because I've been with him on a couple of occasions, but he commented that where, where we're seeing a divide in the church currently with, say, those who are open and those who refuse to open, and then there's the middle ground of folks just trying to figure out what we're supposed to do, but we're, we're talking those who stand in opposition, uh, Andy Stanley and, and others like that, that are actually speaking publicly that... that Churches like ours are in the wrong yeah. and, and we're disobedient to God. And you're seeing this clear divide between the two positions. Uh, Char- Charlie's comment was, if the fascist, socialist, secular progressive change the Constitutional Republic, pack the Supreme Court, um, nation state of California, whatever you look at where you have an oligarchy established, Come, th- these churches will be coming after you. They're going to mark you yeah. because we have favor with the state. And that's exactly what happened to Niemöller and Bonhoeffer. All these churches still got their buildings and their pensions and, and they sided with Hitler. Yep. And it was Bonhoeffer and Niemöller who died. But I have to tell you, I don't know a single name of any of those <laughs> German pastors that stood with Hitler. They are in the ash heap of history and they've been dispersed into oblivion, yep. and yet the, the name Bonhoeffer is, is that, that one name that Amen. rings yeah. true. Right? It, wow. the, <clears throat> Reverend, a few figures from that time, right? A very yeah. few. Oscar yeah. Schindler, the, the sweet old lady who was Helen. packing children into Helen this Keller? big cart. No, no, she was oh. Polish. It, um, yeah. yeah. And, and she the was, actress who played, super, uh, who played um, Superwoman is is playing Gal Gadot, is, I think, is it's, playing it's that playing woman her. in a film Cindy. about her. Fascinating lady. She, she got him out of the, I'm out of the Warsaw I don't Ghetto. I can't either. She was up for the, 
uh, she was she was up for the Nobel Peace Prize right. with Al Gore, and Al Gore ended up winning. It's like that's are right. You kidding I, I remember me? that scandalous. Yeah, I want to read you guys something that I read from um, Bonhoeffer the other day, and then we can get to some questions. Maybe. And by the way, the quote with Bonhoeffer, I was talking to Eric Metaxas. Though what you read was attributed to him, we can't find. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but he he said that same thing in different ways, in different through ways, multiple sure. things. But I, I, I think it's a faithful representation. It, it of what is. He it is a faithful representation. Here's something Bonhoeffer wrote in jail. Yeah. Shortly before he was executed. Okay. And I just, I can't think of a more perfect few sentences to communicate to our brothers and sisters today on the issue of abortion. He says, "We have been the silent witnesses of evil deeds." We have been drenched by many storms. We have learned the arts of equivocation and Mm. pretense. Experience has made us suspicious of others and kept us from being truthful and open. Intolerable conflicts have worn us down and even made us cynical. Are we still of any use? We shall not need geniuses or cynics or misanthropes or clever tacticians, but rather plain, honest, straightforward men. Will our inward power of resistance be strong enough and our honesty with ourselves remorseless enough for us to find our way back to simplicity and straightforwardness? And I just can't think of a more perfect cut to the quick type of paragraph regarding the church on the issue of abortion today. We have very woke enlightened, theologically trained pastors and Christian leaders who insist that dwelling in the liminal spaces of complexity in the gray area is where we need to be because Christ called us into the complex. Meanwhile, a million image bearers are having their limbs ripped off their body every year through state-sanctioned genocide, just like in 1940. And you're pretending to just be clever and And concerned with loving your neighbor. Yeah. Um, And we just need simple, honest, straightforward men who see the reality of the situation and act, who stand in the public square, who speak life, and who reassert our moral authority as the only institution in the culture that can hold government to account. Now, I'm going I'm to put some reality to that position and that line in the sand you just drew. Yes, please. So our court hearing is November 9th. Our judge that we papered the first one got the second one. Second one refused to rule in our favor. He just kicked the can down the road because he wanted to retire. And I, I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. Yeah. We have a new judge. Exactly. This guy's not going to be favorable. And, and as a result, and I'm assuming that, God can do all things, and, and the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He guides it like a water course. But hmm. if we're looking at his previous rulings, he's not going to be favorable. We have an election coming up November 3rd. I don't know who's going to win. It's still up in the air. People think it's going to be, you know, uh, overwhelming. It, that's to be determined. Right. No, nobody knows that. And, I, and I'm, yeah. I'm in the thick of it. I see it. And there's variables out there with, you know, m- there will be more votes cast than since the early, t- in the turn of the century, 1900s. So as we're looking at this, there's, there's a strong likelihood hmm. that the position that we take is going to cost us yeah. dearly. And quite possibly, and this may seem like hyperbole, but I've thought of it. Yeah. It's going to cost us everything. Mm-hmm. And when Bonhoeffer made the decision he made, mm. at the time he was enamored, and I, I don't know if he was engaged, but those were most of the letters he wrote from prison, and I forget her name, I think it was Marie. And she collected them. 
And when they did an interview with her later, she's not really walking with the Lord. She was receiving wow. these unbelievable correspondence from a man who was laboring in prison who had a heart for this lady who never really grasped the intensity of this man. Hmm. And it, it's fitting because she loved him, but never understood him. And here he's, he's the one man that is a voice to a generation that is going off the cliff. Yeah. And, and he's almost prophetic. And, and the, the life of a prophet is lonely. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's going to come at a cost. Right. I mean, we can talk comfortably with the lights and comfortable in here, but who's to say this is going to last? Yeah. And my wife and I, we, we discuss this. Hmm. And you, if you're going to take this line, it's going to require an understanding because... Yeah. You better toe the line. You better stay there. Like the pastor up in Northern California in the Santa uh, Clara County, there's two pastors. One is Mike McClure and the other is a pastor whose name I've forgotten and it will be forgotten. They both decided to stand against the tyranny and both were assessed the fines and this man folded. Yep. That was so devastating. Hmm. Uh, it would almost be better if you hadn't have stood right. than to stand and to fold. Wow. Count the cost before you stand. That's a good word. And you know what? We know exactly, you know, the, the other side has told us in no uncertain terms what some of those costs might be yep. in just the foreseeable future, not yeah. to mention, you know, decades yeah, from now, yeah. assuming that America has truly lost any semblance of her um, soul uh, grounded in natural rights. If we completely lose that, who knows where it's going to go? I mean, probably physical persecution, right? But, but we've seen the, the sort of the just right around the corner type of reality from that party because you've got the, the VP candidate, Kamala Harris, who by her voting record seems to be equally, if not more radical than Bernie Sanders, an yep. actual communist. Yep. And she, after learning that David Delighton and Sandra Merritt exposed Planned Parenthood for breaking federal law and selling dead baby body limbs on the black market, went to try to jail the whistleblower. Yep. This has I never happened that. in California yeah. history before, that you go after a whistleblower for recording and exposing illegal activity. You always go for the people who were participating in the illegal activity. I mean, yeah. this is scandalous. Look at what this woman has said she's willing to do. She's willing to jail pro-lifers. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. And the pro-lifers who say, oh, I voted for Hillary because Trump was just, uh, you know, I just didn't know what I'd get. Yeah, exactly. That's a lot better than knowing exactly what you get with <laughs> yeah. Hillary, which yeah. would have been slaughtering millions of more babies, jailing pro-lifers. And do you remember what Obama was attempting to do to pregnancy resource centers before Trump got elected? Force them to advertise abortion oh, services, right. refer for abortion yeah. services, and tell them where to go to get an abortion. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, yeah. I mean, they've already shown us what they're willing yeah. to do in just right around the corner. Who knows if and we actually lose our federalist soul where this will go. And we were, we were one click. And... and, and this was taken out of the non-essential uh, program, but it was one of the best lines Charlie had. And, and I knew that they thought it would be difficult to market it. But Charlie said, in, in no uncertain terms, and I, I, I'm going to do my best to recount it, but he basically said, look, and he said this when I was with him in Texas, which, you know, you, you're, th this is, right. yeah. It's, it, he said, George Bush Jr., yeah, I love this younger video. George Bush, he yeah. said, a good guy. And you'd want him to babysit your kids. Right. And you wouldn't want Trump to babysit your kids. Right. That's right. But George Bush didn't do anything for the unborn for the most part. Yeah, for the most part. That's right. He was a squish he, when it came to protecting the unborn. He's the one who gave us John Roberts. He's, he's, you know, 
he really just it was he, just the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, really. And he, and he didn't he didn't he didn't participate in the March for Life. No president has. Right. And then you got a guy that you say, oh, he's caustic, three times married, twice divorced. You know, he's, he's twittered, blah blah blah, and you know the virtue signaling from the pulpits of America. But here's a man who has stood. I, I've never heard more of a defense for the unborn in a major presidential debate in the history, modern history, with let Hillary. alone my lifetime, with Hillary. And and he did what he said he was going to do. Right. And Charlie said, "Okay, so you got a guy you'd have babysit your kids, and this guy may not be the one to have babysit your kids, but I don't want him to That's be right. a nice guy. That's right. Because." He's the defender. He's the bodyguard of Western civilization. Yeah. I, want, I want someone who's a brawler. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they take that down. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and then the part is, we're talking about non-essential. And they did a great job. I don't, I don't want to dismiss it. But we're contending for the fact that we need to be in the public square, the ecclesia. Right. And you're afraid it's too political, so you take it out. Yeah. And, and, and I get it. I get it, because yeah. you want to reach an audience. Yeah. But there's, you've got to choose those hills yeah, you want to die right. on. You know, on that point, Rob, about this idea of the perceived personal character of one individual, right? Yep. And the obvious character flaws of another. I want to give you this short thought experiment. This comes from my mentor, Scott Klusendorf. And this is the analogy he paints and poses to the Christian pro-lifer who pays lip service to the pro-life movement but says they're voting for Biden. Here's what he says. You are walking down the street and you walk by a daycare center that is on fire. There are two men who also have just strolled up to the location. One is loud and brash and well-known for speaking his mind in ways that are not always kind and frequently obnoxious. He wants to run in with you to help rescue as many children as can be saved. The other is more pleasant to people in a superficial way, more likable, and he never tweets mean things. <laughs> he refuses to help save the children and has a can of gasoline he intends to throw into the building. Who is the better man? Who deserves some level of respect and deserves your vote? And that really is a legitimate comparison. Yeah. And Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are standing with hundreds of gallons of gasoline they're about to pour on the abortion industry that will slaughter more children than we've ever and, seen before as that industry begins to push the abortion pill, which is going to kill way more children. Gasoline is an accelerant. That's right. That, that's the point. Ex exactly, mm -hmm. yep. And you have someone who tweets mean things but is the most pro-life president in American history. Listen, if you as a Christian cannot vote against the slaughter and state-sanctioned killing of image bearers of God in a womb that you used to be in and that Christ entered human history in, I don't trust you on it anything else. Yeah. And I guarantee you the same pastors folding and closing their churches right now, yep. I, I can bet you, I would bet you a lot of money, even though I'm a pro-life speaker and have basically none, I would bet you <laughs> that the vast majority of those pastors have either never preached a message on abortion, or if they have, it was just milk. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, if you don't get the right to life right, you, you're going to fall on everything And that's else. why our founder said, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, because liberty and happiness are scarce little value if, if, if you don't right. have life. That's right. We have a question, I, I, because we're coming to the top of the hour. I, we picked this one, and this is a great one, because I saw this video, and I was moved by it. It Father, says... Father um, Well, let me, let me read it. Let me yeah. read it first, and then you add to yes. it. Yes. <laughs> they say, have you seen the latest condemnation that some brave Catholic priests have been openly stating in their sermons, you can't be a Catholic and a Democrat because of their evil stand for abortions. And I, they add the word condemnation. I think of it more as, well, 
Yeah, that, that is. So I believe yeah. this was Father James Altman. Yeah. Um, I'm not a Catholic, um, mm-hmm. but I have lots of Catholic friends because I'm in the pro-life movement and Catholics have been more faithful on this than Protestants. Um, and I watched his very fiery, um, most peaceful, but mostly fiery or fiery, but mostly peaceful. Um, uh, sermon jam that they put together. And yeah, this is what he says. He says, you can't be um, a Catholic and a Democrat. And a lot of people get really upset with that kind of language, right? I mean, yep. people get really upset with that kind of language and Protestants say that. If I were to ever say you can't be a Christian and pro-choice. Well, I mean, John Piper would be upset with you. Yeah, I, I know. No, so would Andy Stanley. Yeah. Um, no, and I, and I temper my statements. You know, I have, an, I have a podcast episode called Can Christians Be Pro-Choice and Refuting the Theological Case for Abortion. And I say, yes, just like you can sleep around and, and, and be saved, but then you need to repent and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and there needs to be good fruit coming off of your branches, or otherwise we're going to question the soil that you're growing in. Yeah, and, and, and there's, man, there's, a, there's a sort and, of a biblical mandate for that. And, and I'm not going to be the one to condemn someone to hell. I, that's not my role. You know, right. God knows the heart. But, but exactly. the reality is you'll know them by their fruit. So if you're saying out of one side of your mouth, doing another, that, well, I, I, it, it's, it's muddy. Yeah. I don't know. And let's just simplify this. Let's just make this very simple. Here's my simple answer. I can't for, condemn you to hell and I can't bless you to heaven. That's right. I don't know. Yeah. It's for, great. For whoever asked right. this, so we can get to the next one. Let me just give you my most simple answer. Um, who would have a problem with a Catholic priest saying you can't be a Catholic and a Democrat if, he, if you, with all of your perfected moral compass now, were in the 1850s and Catholic priests were saying you can't be a Catholic and a Democrat? Guess what? No one would have a problem with that. Yeah. No one, because yeah. they would understand that's true. We're Catholics. We believe that um, human beings are created in the image of God. Um, you know, while we do pray to priests, we pray to Christ because, uh, you know, he entered human history in a womb and identified yeah. with us as fully human. And so, of course, we can't um, register to vote for or lend political power to the very party responsible for the enslavement, purchase, and whipping of black human beings who were treated like cattle. So unless the individuals who were upset with Father James Altman for saying this about Catholics who vote for the Democratic Party, unless they would also say that about, if you were saying that about Democrats in the 1850s, then their critique means virtually nothing. And I think we all know that they'd be perfectly fine saying that about Christian uh, Catholics who were voting for the Democratic Party in the 1850s. So what does this tell us again? They're bigots. I know that's strong language, but what's bigotry? Bigotry is the discrimination against someone else based off of characteristics they have no control over. Mm -hmm. Because if I discriminate or judge you based off of your actions, you know, you're sleeping around, you're stabbing people in the back, you're robbing Mm -hmm. them, that's not not bigotry because you're responsible for those actions. (laughs) And of course, we judge one another based off of our actions. You're talking about immutable traits. That's right, exactly. But if I judge you off your skin color or your gender or your religion, that's bigotry because those are characteristics or functions or capacities. Or, or, or your development phase. You have no control over. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So abortion is bigotry because it discriminates against preborn children based off of characteristics they have no control over. Size, yeah, level yeah. of development, location, and dependency. Um, and so what is, what is the, the selective application of this critique mean to whoever asked this? That the people who were mad at Father James Altman and other Catholics were saying you can't be a Catholic and a Democrat. They don't give two rips about the unborn child. And any lip service they pay to the unborn child means virtually nothing because they probably will not be voting to politically protect them. Yeah. Um, I've watched a, a lot of your videos. I just did YouTube searches. Oh, brother, you're nice. Can, can you tell me, or I'm sorry, can you tell our audience where they could find, where's the best place to go? Because I just did searches. And yeah, 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 There was yeah. one you just did recently. It was great. Yeah, yeah. After non-essential, it was awesome. But where do they go to find out more about what yeah, yeah, you're yeah. doing? And also... 
Can you tell us how we go about supporting it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so you guys, if you want to support my ministry, you can text babies to 47 three times, 47, 47, 47. <laughs> you can Boy, text babies, okay. all about the babies. Um, yeah. And uh, so that's how you can support me. But um, to, get, to get more of this, because I'm actually in the process of God sort of taking me into a new season where I'm, I'm starting to get the ability to sort of replicate myself, mm-hmm. meaning more types of content, training, all free, a series of pro-life videos we're about to begin that are going to be kind of Prager U-ish, four mm-hmm. minutes, very punchy, very viral friendly, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and geared towards people who disagree with us. I know my pro-life podcast. I know you can produce those. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 Our, um, my pro-life podcast is called <laughs> Unaborted with Seth Gruber because we're all unaborted, right? Uh, so that's the irony of being pro-choice. You sanction the slaughter of children in a womb you once came from. Um, so we're all unaborted. But that podcast is kind of for people who already agree with me because very right. unlikely someone's going to listen to that who disagrees with me. Right. So we got a pro-life video series we're about to start rolling out that will be professionally produced by a buddy who's giving me a ripping deal. And those are going to be geared towards viral-friendly stuff on Facebook and YouTube to change people's minds who disagree with us or who are on the fence. The podcast, once a week, I've been doing, actually, I've been doing two a week leading up to the election to just mm-hmm. try to do more for people. Um, that's where you can subscribe and listen to participate in pro-life discipleship, if you will. And you're going to be running around like little pro-life ninjas, I'll tell you. I mean, I just pour all of the fire hose content I have into just the repetitive again and again and again, discipling people on how to be ambassadors for the unborn. Uh, and then my website, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, um, to follow more. But the, the podcast, the writing, and the pro-life videos, that's what we're trying to do to encourage and equip Christians to stand in the gap and put that line in the sand and say, yeah. it's time to pick sides. Yeah. I, I was listen, looking at the comments and everybody mainly every time you said a statement, people said, amen, hallelujah, (laughs) stuff like that. So as a reminder, on November 1st, we'll do another one where people will be able to oh, We're doing a live. We're doing yeah. a live audience. Yeah. Be so fun, that yeah. would be a good opportunity. Well, this is live right it. now too. Yeah. That's true, yeah. yeah. I meant a live audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah we'll audience. have a live audience. Well, well we kind of got a few folks in there. Hello. <laughs> let, me just, let me just say this is where I know we're long on time. Um, and I, I think I said this shortly a little bit last time you guys had me on, but... I, 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 I did my first talk on abortion in the public square, I think at, uh, well, actually 18 for my senior project in high school, but 19, I, I, I spoke in a church as a freshman mm-hmm. in college. Jeez. And then by my sophomore year, I was starting to do a little bit more. So I would have been 19, 20, um, and I, I, I'm 29 now. So I've been doing this um, for uh, over a decade in terms of pro-life work in general, and almost a decade of public speaking on behalf of our unborn neighbors. And I have never felt more welcomed, um, encouraged, um, like people were putting spiritual jet fuel into me than at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills and here. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And Calvary Chapel Signal Hill and Joe Pettick at Calvary Chapel the Harbor as well. But I mean, just just so encouraging. Wait, and, wait, wait. And what, what about what about Awaken? Haven't you done them too? No, I haven't yet. Oh, you got oh. to. I know, I know. Yeah. All right. I'm so gonna... I just want to thank you for your voice and for your courage and, and for your boldness, both of you. And uh, it just it's so I can't tell you how refreshing it is to not have to walk around justifying my career to yeah. to Christians and Christian leaders, um, and rather. Um, you guys are actually challenging me to be better than what I'm already doing, and that is rare coming from the American pulpit today. And what so, we're going to do next is we're going to show you the studio that you can use <laughs> and come up here all the time. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close tonight, and I'm going to tell you a little story. All righty. Uh, I wasn't a believer, and I was a lifeguard. And I met a, a, a girl. Um, she was, I was down in Coronado. She was visiting. We started going out in the summer, and the relationship where, where it shouldn't have gone. Leave it at that. Uh, she ends up calling me and telling me she's pregnant. And her dad was a big dude. And 
he'd kill me if he found out. And once he killed me, my dad would resurrect me and he'd kill me. So I didn't want anyone to know. So I, I took money I had and I, I set up an appointment at the abortion clinic. And um, she was due back that Friday. And when she got back, she, she said, you know, I had my period. We're not, I'm not pregnant. And I said, great. And, and that, that relationship was, you know, she was an object. Mm -hmm. And there was really no significance. And we parted ways. And that was one of the most depressing seasons of my life. Mm -hmm. Because I remember looking in the mirror and thinking to myself, who are you? Because the way you treat others is the way you feel about yourself. And, hmm. it, you know, sex is what can I get? Love is what can I give? And that person was an object. Hmm. It's the lowest form of love. It's self, self, selfish. It's eros. Right. And it was that summer that I just kind of took an inventory of my life and, and came to the Lord. Hmm. Wow. And started realizing, you know, just how self-indulged I was and how people were just, you just use them. And God did a, a work in my life. I, I, mm. I'd like to say he did it right then and there, but I was a work in progress. Of course, yeah. And there's more to the story, but you fast forward, uh, Michelle and I marry. And we're both believers. And... She comes to me early on in our marriage, and she says, I'm pregnant. She got the pregnancy stick, and I'm thrilled. I mean, I'm beside myself. Right. Hmm. And we went to the doctor for the trimester checkup, and they're working the ultrasound device, Dr. Teresa Avance, really sweet lady, at Seventh-day Adventist. And we had a name picked out for a boy, name picked out for a girl. And I said, come on, doc, boy or girl? She looks over at me and her eyes are welling up with tears. She looks down at Michelle and gravity takes the tears and they go rolling down her face. She says, Michelle, Rob, I'm sorry, but your baby's died. Mm. And mm -hmm. Michelle grabbed my hand so tight, you know, and what was supposed to be an exciting moment was just tragic. Right. So they, they took Michelle in for a DNC, a, a dilating cuterage, same mm -hmm. procedure as an abortion, but in this case, our baby was already dead. And during this routine procedure that any, I think, 15-year-old in California can receive without parental permission, yep. my wife begins to hemorrhage. And they rush her out of the room. Wow. And I, I could, Dr. Avance was wearing a mask in the attendance as well, but I could tell by the terror in her eyes or the concern. And I saw my wife, and as a minister, I've seen many a, a corpse. Michelle's face was so ashen gray, you couldn't tell where her face ended and her lips began. And they're rushing her to ICU. Wow. And it was critical. And they finally stabilized her. She was still unconscious, and they allowed me to go in and see her. And she had tubes running in and out of her body, and her hair was thrashed, and her lips were cracked with dehydration, and she was still gray. And her hand was cold when I was holding it, but she, she was recovering. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't think I've ever loved anybody as much as I love her. And she wouldn't have made it on the cover of any magazine. But for the first time in my life, I love someone more than I love myself. Hmm. And at that moment, God spoke to my heart and said, what's the difference, Rob? And I'm like, what do you mean, Lord? He said, what's, what's the difference? And I said, the difference of what? 
Well, the child that you want to get rid of and the one that you're weeping over. And that just hit me. Hmm. I just said, you know, Lord, this child was all about me and it was an object of inconvenience right. that I would get rid of to protect myself from be being beaten up by her dad and my dad. But this is a baby. And I realized as painful as that day was when, I lost, when we lost our baby and I almost lost my wife, I wouldn't give up one day of this for a thousand of these, hmm. you know, free and easy lifeguard. Right. Because on this day, as painful as it was, I never felt more loved and more human in all my life. Right. Hmm. And, and, and the process of, of seeing the value of human life, that, that's what God's called us to. And yeah. life's painful, but it's profound. Yeah. And I, there's, there's more to that story. I could go on. But God has, over time, just instilled this continually in my heart. That's right. And I, I wish, Seth, I wish somebody like you had come into my class when I was younger. Mm. I wish I had known. Right. I would have never even contemplated that. Yeah. Um, Amen. And then the last thing is, as you know, Micah and Molly, my daughter and my son-in-law, we just lost a 19-week-old little boy. He's yeah. stillborn little Theodore. And Molly delivered what I call his earth suit. And he was a short-term visitor. Yeah. But you look at that little boy, you tell me that's not a baby, and you, I just have one word for you, you're an idiot. That's right. And the, the profound nature of delivering that, that baby, every nurse, doctor, everyone called baby. Yeah, because it was wanted. It was wanted. It's one, of the, it's one of the most evil lies of the enemy yeah. on this issue. Yeah. It's to say it's not really a child. And of course, we saw this from Chrissy Teigen and John Legend recently. Yeah. Mourn over our child, Jack, because we wanted them, but also we give hundreds of thousands of dollars to Planned Parenthood who kill children 15 weeks older than the child that we're asking you to mourn over with us. Yeah. Because yeah. you wanted your child, but the babies that you fund Planned Parenthood to kill were unwanted. Yeah. No yeah. child is unwanted because they're image bearers of God Amen. And God has a plan for that child and for that life. But also no child is unwanted because the church ought to be doing the very thing that we were doing when we were very young, yeah. right after the ascension of Christ, which is Care. rescuing children yeah. who are abandoned on the side of the road and saying we will raise these children as our own because we're the only institution with the philosophical and theological foundation to understand that we have a duty to protect these children because they're intrinsically valuable. And going back to our whole conversation tonight, we're the institution, the only one with that foundation to hold government to account and say, you have an obligation yeah. to protect yeah. life above all else. Yeah. And if you will not protect the natural <laughs> rights that this republic was founded upon, we have the right to reassert our natural rights because political power is in our hands. Yep. And what a beautiful thing for the Church of Christ because we should be the ones on the front line rescuing life, saving them, and loving their mothers and their fathers 
others. So what a beauty it is that that institution and that church that Christ says goes preach the gospel in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. What are one of those commands? Love your neighbor. The unborn is our neighbor. What's another man command? Don't shed the blood of innocent, innocent human lives. beings. And on top of that, as if that wasn't enough, we live in America where political tools are put into our hands to add on to the blessings that we already have, to say, look at this now. Look at these tools I have. I can use these to restore legal personhood and protections to image bearers of God who are more vulnerable than any other human being in a womb that was created to be the most safe place for a human being to find themselves and it's become the most dangerous place. And these pastors, Robin, these Christian leaders, they ought to just look us in the face and just be honest with us and tell us that Mary had a fundamental right to an abortion. Would you have spoken out against Roe versus Wade being endorsed in the first century if Mary wanted to protect, exercise her women's right to choose? Of course not. So if these children are created in the image of God and God entered human history in a womb, then it means that they're also created in the image of the prenatal Christ. And if you turned a blind eye to that, then politically, you're no different than the Levite and the priest who walked by on the other side of the road and looked at a bleeding victim and went, yeah. All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to pray right now because this is, this is a critical juncture in the history of our nation. And it's coming to loggerheads. And, and I, I just pray we, the church awakens. Out? Yeah, 10 days out. So let, let's, let's take this to the Lord. Join, join with us as we pray tonight, everybody. Lord, thank you for Seth. His voice for the voiceless. His defense of the defenseless. And God, dear to your heart, these children that have been created in your image. And Lord, the law, as your word says, is a guardian to keep us safe. And to point us to Christ until faith comes. And Lord, we, we don't even keep safe those that need the, the most protection. And yet we declare ourselves faithful. But we allow the evisceration and obliteration of the least of these, the youngest. And God, forgive us. Have mercy on us, please, Lord. Yeah. We know we deserve judgment, but we ask for your mercy. We ask, God, that there would be an awakening. That your bride would have her eyes opened to realize that we are the ones called to stand in the gap of the slaughter of the innocent. Lord, I pray that there be conviction. Lord, I thank you that there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But Lord, we have to be hidden in you. Hmm. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring conviction. We thank you that there's not condemnation, but we pray conviction. That having done all, we will stand. And so, Lord, please, I I pray for an awakening and a revival. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause that to happen in these coming days. And, Lord, allow us to have the courage, having done all to stand, looking not to the right or the left, but as our face would be set as a flint, that, Lord, we would not waver in our defense of the defenseless. So, God, we commit all that to you. We ask that you'd be merciful. We ask for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, will you send us out with the blessing <laughs> sure. out of number six? You did it last time, and I love the way you did it. So <laughs> sure, take yeah, it over. Absolutely. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
Well, that was a heavy one tonight, folks, but it's an important one. Critical election. Um, this Sunday, we're going to do baptisms. That's a public profession of faith. Now, you want the world to know in these trying times that you're a disciple of Christ, that you, you will go into all the world, that you are an instrument of his kingdom. And that comes at a great cost. And then the following Sunday, which is the last Sunday before the election. Yeah. Uh, on the ballot, truly, is the protection of the unborn. And that's why I've asked Seth to come and preach that Sunday. Invite everybody you know to come out. And we'll be, I'll be in a five-day fast the last five days before the election, culminating Monday night in a prayer service that I'd, I would welcome you all to come and be a part of. Wonderful. And we're going to ask God to have mercy on the land, yeah. to, to protect the unborn and to stand for righteousness. And ridicule or not, whatever we face, that's irrelevant. And so come and join us. May God bless you and we'll see you tomorrow night.